0: Hey everyone, we are continuing our series on anxiety today with a re-release of our episodes, How to Manage Our Anxiety. We're gonna be talking about anxiety on a scale from one to 10 and different strategies on how to manage it at each different level. So take a listen, you can use the strategies for yourself or you can offer them up for your kids as anxiety is getting higher, as the holidays get closer. We hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving and we are excited to talk to you soon. Welcome to Podcast Therapists,
1: presented by Virginia Family Therapy. I'm Sarah.
2: I'm Caroline. And I'm Amanda. As three family therapists, we know how hard it is to feel like you're being the parent
0: you want to be while juggling everyone's needs. We specialize in helping families just like you during the long days of multitasking and constant searching for the bar of success.
1: Our podcast mixes expertise, real life advice, and embarrassing stories.
0: Who's embarrassing story? (laughs) yours (laughs) let's walk through this together welcome to podcast therapists
1: brought to you by virginia family therapy last week we talked about how we talk to kids and families about anxiety and this week we're going to talk about how we help them cope with it or what we talk about with dealing with it itself
0: Absolutely. So one of the things I talk to families about is how we can help folks manage their anxiety in a proactive way or in a reactive way, right? Like how, what are the things that we do proactively so that the anxiety doesn't get too big? So let's just start with that because I know we're all having those conversations all of the time is how do we kind of manage our anxiety before the anxiety is even there? I think
2: one of the things that I do is educate and basically have part of the conversation that we had last week, right? Like you give it? them our podcast. <laughs> I don't I could should now. now. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of me spending a session talking to you about this, you can, here's your homework. <laughs> you can listen to our podcast, increase our listenership. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but I think like helping people understand like, why am I anxious? What is happening in my body? Like, what is anxiety? Is anxiety bad? Is it not bad? I think that is like my first step in helping like from a proactive
0: approach. The psychoeducation. That's the, that's the official word for stuff like that, y'all. (laughs) Psychoeducation.
1: I like that. (laughs) But the normalizing of just the experience too, right? Like just, Yeah. yeah, that is the first step I think we all use. And then the second step is what? So send them this podcast.
0: (laughs) Send them this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. No, the second step for me, and of course, this is probably my own stuff, is I'm like exercise. So I've just recently read this book um, called Burnout, and it's getting a lot of good reviews recently um, by Emily Nogasi and some and her sister, I forget their names, but essentially her hypothesis is that we carry stress around in our bodies. And the only way that we actually can get it out, we have to find ways to actually get it out or else we hold it in our bodies and then it stays in our bodies. And we have somatic complaints or like physical complaints because of it. And so one of the things she really says is you have to exercise in order to get the stress out of your body. And so for me in general, I'm always telling people 45 minutes of even walking, 45 minutes five days a week, that's gonna do tons to manage anxiety, period. I start with 15.
2: I I mean for people like if it's a huge lifestyle. You're probably shift, right. Yes. I'm like, start with 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes of anything. Of
0: just moving your body. So you know what I do, actually? So I, I say 45 minutes, put a podcast in, right? Forty Because if it's a big change, 45 minutes, put a podcast in. You can listen to this one or you could listen to something better like cereal. Um, <laughs> and then you go on a walk or I will say do like 15 minutes of a minute hard, a minute easy, a minute hard, a minute easy, because that sort of elevation mm-hmm. of your heart rate is mm-hmm. it, it is more effective in managing your anxiety, mm-hmm. better, and it's in a shorter period of time. That makes sense. Yeah, that's good. I love the exercise stuff, guys. You know, I, I do. I'm a huge supporter of people
1: getting out and moving. Yeah, around.
2: I have started um, doing outdoor in person sessions again, which means I'm like walking and walking and walking during the day. And especially this week when the weather's been nice. I guess I don't know if the weather will have been nice when we release this, but in this moment, the weather has been really nice. In Virginia, it's been nice. Um, And like my endorphins and like my energy level, I'm like, it's the best day ever. (laughs) Like I feel great. And then I sort of hit a point where I've maxed out on walking, but I do notice like this huge shift in my mood, being outside, being in person, walking with clients
0: versus like sitting on Zoom. And how many steps, you told me this, but how many steps are you getting a day? What's the, what's your max recently? Like 33,000. Yeah. 33,000 steps. Which is like, are you chasing your clients?
2: <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm herding cat <laughs> In my free time between sessions. No, but like every session is like two, a little over two miles. Right. And so you multiply that by like six or seven and you have walked. And then I have a dog and he doesn't. Come to work, so then he needs his own separate exercise. I sleep really well. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. great.
1: Well, that's the other piece. Sleep is so important to helping um, regulate anxiety, and I think the exercise really helps the sleep part. So again, that's kind of a nice marriage. If you're getting a lot of exercise, you'll be tired.
2: So from the proactive standpoint, I kind of talk about like lifestyle or like the day to day. Absolutely. Right? So, like mm-hmm. yep. exercise. Yeah, routine. Like so, exercise, sleep. Um, Caffeine. I have a lot of clients that drink tons of
0: caffeine. Mm -hmm. So like, how can you decrease your caffeine intake? And you all caffeine. So what caffeine does is it actually makes your heartbeat faster. So part of what anxiety is, or part of what happens in our body is we feel a sensation in our body, and then we attribute that to an emotion. So we don't, you might not even feel anxious about anything, but when your heart starts beating faster, your brain says, Oh, wow, your heart's beating fast. You must be anxious about something. Therefore you're, therefore you're anxious. And you can actually assign it to the wrong thing a hundred percent
1: kids that happens with kids a lot. I know they'll say, Oh, I can't go watch a movie because last time I was in the movie theater, I I got anxious and it, had everything to do with just some sort of surge and the heart rate went up. And so they assigned it to the whole movie theater. Mm -hmm. I think also um, speaking to routine, like just the night routine with kids and teens, like I talk about it so hard with teenagers, I think in particular, but I talk a lot about just even if you can just be routine for the last 15 minutes, like just the way you wash your face or just the way you brush your teeth or just the way you get into bed, just something that just gives your body some pattern to get used to. It, mm-hmm. it also improves relaxation, mm-hmm. and I recommend. I don't know if you guys do the apps. Some of the apps that you can listen to to fall asleep mm-hmm. with some of the kids, right? Um, I certainly do. So, like the
2: Calm app mm-hmm. or like Insight Timer. There's mm-hmm. Headspace. There's Headspace. headspace is a little bit more expensive.
0: So there's a whole. We should probably just do another one around sleep hygiene and sure. sleep anxiety, mm-hmm. um, and we can do that. But I think one of the things we're saying is that. Eight hours of sleep really has an impact on anxiety. And if you think about, so probably a lot of the people here are parents. And so you've had the experience of having a newborn and how little sleep you got then and how anxious and depressed and angry and also joyful about this baby. But there were a lot of negative emotions in there that were related to sleep, period. Right. I mean, basically... When you have your newborn,
1: your significant other can do nothing right for about oh, the first yes. year. And that's really <laughs> lack of sleep, I think,
2: a lot of times, Guys, right? I can't wait for this thing. You're like, sorry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I mean, you're right. So sleep is really important. And I think we always say eight hours, but really, like, if you if you look, like, athletes need more sleep. Like, yes. Kids who are putting out a lot of... And, and even people who have a genuine, like, routine already they're dedicated to for exercise. Let's say you've got a kid who's an athlete. Just a walk after dinner is different from what their bodies are used to doing. So, just that extra little walk can really help decrease anxiety too.
2: So, I would argue that if you are running anxious, you are going to require more sleep. Yes. Because anxiety is exhausting mentally and physically.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I agree. And guys, I hate to say this, but when I heard stuff like this growing up, I'd be like, well, that's not me. You know, like I'm just anxious about this. Like I'm anxious about this test coming up. Mm -hmm. This is a very important test or I have a lot of stress in X, Y, Z or whatever it is. That's why I'm anxious. But ultimately, the second I actually changed my sleep patterns and my exercise patterns Mm -hmm. and my eating patterns, I really did see a shift in my anxiety. In what you can manage, right? You just have more bandwidth to manage things. Kids
1: can handle the extra stressors or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think right now with um, with kids who like are on virtual school, the patterns of sleep have really altered. And and sometimes they're like, the exercise piece is huge, but sometimes they'll stay on a screen really, really late. Mm -hmm. And we can always talk about screens, but I think sometimes just... If you, if a kid's going to be on a screen late, just saying, okay, those last, like again, those last 15 minutes, just come off the screen those last 15 minutes. Like it doesn't have to be, the parent doesn't have to intervene with a hardcore, like no screen after eight, that can be too hard for some kids or they're doing homework till 10 or 11. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: (laughs) The other thing I would say, sorry, is also around eating and I'm not really into healthy eating. I really should be. Um, I I'm kind of into healthy eating in theory, but, um, I do think, especially right now, there's a lot of folks out there that are doing intermittent fasting or that are really going long periods of time without eating because there's, you know, there's some literature out there that maybe, and maybe it's Instagram. There's some Instagram, folks out there saying we should be intermittent fasting. But if we're going longer than three hours without eating, our bodies naturally become more anxious, period. And so if you are in a calorie deficit, your body is going to be anxious because your body thinks you're starving. So making sure you're eating every three hours is certainly a way to manage anxiety. Is that right, Caroline? Caroline's the eating disorder <laughs> expert, is that right? I'm
2: like having, a, I'm having a really anxious reaction right now. Okay, tell me. Um, Because I think... There's always something underlying disordered eating to me, whether it's like tons of anxiety, if it's trauma, if it's depression, like there's a reason why you're it predisposed. Starts. Yeah. And so I get really nervous at the idea of a really anxious person using intermittent fasting as a way to control. Oh, me too. Yeah. Because I think it's like snowballs into an eating disorder so fast. Um so I'm like, I can't even talk about intermittent fasting without getting really nervous. But I 100% agree. Like what I tell all my clients is like human bodies basically have two fuels and they are food and sleep. And when one of those things is way out of whack, you your ability to regulate your emotion, whatever it is, is just really impaired. Like you're just not going to be as successful Because your body isn't getting like the two basic things. I mean, I guess water too, right? But like the two things we
0: really need to survive are like sleep and fuel and food. I wasn't saying they should be intermittent fasting. I was saying this is why you're anxious because you're intermittent fasting. I 100% agree. Yeah. I'm just plugging my own anxiety <laughs> about around.
2: Do you want some peanut butter m Caroline? I already ate <laughs> all my peanut butter m <laughs> It's our fuel. Yep.
1: I think um, with it's lo- tradition. It is it tradition is. with a lot of kids. I think um, the one of the things I say to them too to explain that same kind of relationship is I'll say, "Have you ever been hangry?" And yes. kids can mm-hmm. relate to that because that's something that we even see little kids experience. And I'm like, your body just needs that. So it's similar to like needing sleep, needing the food, needing some routine, needing these kind of all these kind of support pieces we're talking about.
0: And this is just human body and the way society has kind of taken it's made it very easy to get out of normal rhythms of living of being a human being because society is kind Mm -hmm. of different. Like even going to school, I don't think kids are able to eat during the school day as much because they're they're not because they're not able to eat during. So you have to be really proactive. You need to eat a bar the second before you walk into the school and then you can and then wait four hours, which is a little bit of a long stretch until lunch.
2: It's hard because... I really, like, my goal for clients and a lot of the nutritionists that I work with is intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. And, like, structurally, school doesn't necessarily allow for that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, yes, you have, I know we, like, all have heard that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. But it really is. Because if you go to bed and you haven't eaten since 7 p.m. the night before and you don't eat until noon the next day. Oh, gosh your body, like your blood sugar and your systems are just like totally out of whack at that point. And you're going to, you're going to feel sick. You're going to have a headache or you're going to feel nauseous. And then you're not going to want to eat and you can just get into this cycle. So I'm like, I honestly don't care what you eat for breakfast. You can eat soup. You can eat (laughs) like pizza, (laughs) pizza, ice cream. Like I, whatever you want. It doesn't have to be like a traditional breakfast food. It can be grilled cheese. I'm like, just make sure you're eating something for breakfast because especially if you're going to have caffeine and especially if you run anxious, I really do think it's huge. Right. Cause if you roll in after not eating
1: for over 12 hours and you've got a math test, I mean, your brain is not Mm -hmm. going to be able to focus or, or think clearly. And then you're going to panic. Not literally panic, but it's going to create anxiety, and that's that cycle piece that starts. Mm -hmm. And then, the kid assigns it to math, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so now they're just anxious about every math test, when in fact they weren't even anxious
2: about the math test. Having a lot of realizations of my like (laughs) misattributed anxiety. Me too. I never (laughs) thought about it this way. Yeah, it's it's the it's the assignment. I wouldn't go to a movie theater for like three years. Really, little kid? I just randomly picked that. Uh, No, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) when I probably from ages like four to seven or five to eight. Were you too anxious to go to a movie theater? Did you see a scary movie there? So I went to the movie theater. (laughs) Sorry, mom and dad really young and saw Jurassic Park (laughs) (laughs) at like age three or four and got very scared. And then I attributed it to the smell in the lobby. I didn't like the smell in the movie theater. And so I refused to go and my sisters hated it. Cause they wanted to go see fun movies and I would refuse to go. That makes sense. But that's a,
0: that's a really, um, that, that's the same thing. Like you thought it was the smell in the same Mm -hmm. way that people think it's math and not just like time of day and you're hungry and your body Mm -hmm. thinks you're starving. So you're anxious so that you can look for food, but ultimately you're just taking a math test. Yeah. Yeah. And anxious kids, their bodies, they get body feedback
1: so clearly. So like, oh, my heart was racing at this speed and I couldn't catch my breath. And like all the anxiety symptoms, but they're really good at tuning into them. And if you've got a super anxious kid, which some folks might, um, they also then can, um, they start to think about what disease they have. And they start to diagnose their disease. I don't know. If mm-hmm. you were, it turns into some, some kind disease. of health anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes mm-hmm. health anxiety plus school anxiety. Plus, and so really it's about slowing someone down for us, getting them in tune to how their body works, how these other support pe- pieces work in their lives and um, what they have control over. Because you don't have control over everything, obviously. And and there are things that can create anxiety that are out of our control. But the things that we can control are super helpful
0: to put in place. And I always feel like people think it's boring to talk about this stuff because it is kind of boring. Like my, especially when I have a teenage girl, they're like, but I want to tell you what he said to me. And I'm like, (laughs) let's talk about your sleep pattern. Like it's so not what they want to talk about. But it actually is like the healthiest thing and the easiest way to make change is, is by getting sleep, food, exercise, Mm -hmm. getting those things, connection to others, getting Mm -hmm. those things in place so that you're managing the anxiety proactively instead of just waiting for it to hit and being like, oh, crap, I have to do something now. So let's talk a little bit about the reactive
1: time, though, because so many kids when there's it's a little bit like they're learning how to drive. I mean, when they're first mastering the skill of managing anxiety, a lot of times they do find themselves past that. One to four level, mm-hmm. and into the their bodies are reacting. They're kind of already there, and it's hard to process in that moment. And it can be, it feels scary. To a so lot let's of kids.
0: explain the one to four because Caroline has oh, a sorry, nice little we, thermometer. thermometer. Yeah. So
2: I use like a thermometer or a scale in your head. So it goes from one to ten. Ten being like the most intense and most anxious you've ever felt. So what I say to people is like the first step is noticing low level anxiety, right? I have to start being in tune with when I start to feel anxious, because what I see a lot of times with clients is I'm not aware that I'm anxious until I'm at like an eight or a nine or a 10. I'm super overwhelmed. I'm like on the verge of a panic attack or just, you know, my, my logical brain is turned off. And so I do exercises to try to say like, okay, so what is your body feel like? What is, what are the thoughts that happen between the numbers? one in four on the thermometer because that's the ideal time to like use a reactive skill and we can talk about what those are but that's the management time right like that's the time you still have an
1: opening with that with the brain still working easy
2: window of opportunity Mm -hmm. right like that's the easiest time to say i'm gonna do some breathing i'm gonna challenge my thoughts or i'm gonna whatever my coping skill is i'm gonna put my mountain dew down (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Okay. Whatever my coping skill is, I'm gonna do it. Five and six, it gets a little bit trickier. Wait, can
0: you slow down really quickly? Yeah. So between one and four, what are some common symptoms that people experience between one and four? Right? Like mm-hmm. I was just talking to my kids last night about butterflies in their stomach. Yes. Yeah. So that's and- a good- And because they're going to school, today was their first day of school. And so what does a butterfly feel like? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. So what does it feel like in your stomach? That seems to me like it's probably like a three or probably probably a four Mm -hmm. butterflies in your stomach, right? And I will go through each number with kids and identify like, what does this feel like? And so what are some common things and what are some common thoughts?
2: Butterflies, sweaty, my favorite. (laughs) Fidgety. Fidgety, mm-hmm. yeah, like your foot racing. going up and down. Yeah, so like tapping my foot or like tapping my pencil at school or like I fidget, like I twirl my hair or mm-hmm. I play with earrings. Right, so like some things that you might do, biting your nails. Great, um, these are
0: good examples. And I yeah. talk
2: to people like you might just be a fidgety person, right? Like I am a fidgety human. It gets a lot worse when I'm anxious, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. if I start noticing. Yeah, I always am like fidgeting with my necklace. But if I'm really like <laughs> cranking it, then it's like okay, I'm really anxious. Um, I feel like the higher end of the scale is when people are like, my thoughts are racing, yeah, my heart's racing. I feel dizzy or sweaty. My hands are tingling. Um, I feel mm-hmm. shaky. I
1: think when we are able to, to walk through a kid, any age and number it, like you're saying, kind of grade it, then that gives them something really concrete. And, and also it gives, um, a like a goal for success. So if they can, if they hit a four, but can bring it back down to a two, like that feels so good. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're, so that instead of just talking about, oh you're just anxious or you're feeling anxious or that's so big, to kids and, and even teenagers too. Like that's just a big broad spectrum. So right. if you can kind of number it and like assign it. And for so I
2: number it like one through 10, like what does it feel like in my body? Is there a thought involved? And then what do I do? Mm-hmm. So those are the three things. So at a one, what do I do? Maybe that's color for two minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's um, like with little kids, I do five finger breathing, right or maybe it's like smell the flower blow out the candle Ooh, blow bubbles that's a great way to teach deep breathing right but it's like it can be quick and simple Mm -hmm. and then when you like they get to scale as they go up like what do i do at a 10 right Mm -hmm. and for some people at a 10 it's like you know, ask to take a break from class. Like mm-hmm. if younger kids will have like a cool down corner, right? Mm-hmm. Like I actually need to like pull myself away from the situation and go cool down and then come back. Um, for adults, sometimes that's like, go take a walk. Mm-hmm. You're just step um, outside. If you're in the so
0: office. let's talk about one to four then for adults mm-hmm. and kids, right? Let's come up with some good strategies that we tell folks mm-hmm. from one to four. So I think breathing is one breathing's breathing is always one. Yeah. So what strategies we all have different strategies for teaching breathing. And I like go year by year kind of which what I'm doing that mm-hmm. year for breathing. So like, I, I use the four by four, right? The box breathing. Yeah. I use that. So which
1: can is, you explain that? Yes. So you, you teach, um, I teach the client to breathe in for four, hold for four, Exhale for four and hold that for four, and just do it four times. So do you just do that once? Uh-uh. Four times. Okay. So like it's four by four by four. It's by, f- like it's four twenty, 20 essentially. And, and so yeah, <laughs> but I think um, what I also start to do when as I teach them is, is towards the end of that, like if you get to three or four and you can exhale longer, do it because your exhale breath is your relaxation breath. It's what regrounds your body and resets your heart and your respiratory rate. So if the exhale breath can be longer. And then that'll slowly relax your body without you even having to do anything. So that's what I teach that a lot to adults and kids.
2: So I also teach kids that like the higher you are on the scale, the more breaths it's going to take to start working. Yeah, that's good. Because what I hear a lot from people is like, I took some deep breaths and it's not, it didn't help. It wasn't working. And we talk about like, okay, how many deep breaths, whether it's box breaths, Uh whether it's something else that we can talk about. But like, I'm like, how many do you think you took? And they're like, like three, and it just didn't help. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, so three breaths or one set of box breathing, right. zero to four, that might be enough. If you're at five, six, seven, you might need to do four rounds right. of four breaths, mm-hmm. right? The other thing I notice a lot of kids will do is they'll breathe
1: in really quickly and breathe out really quickly. And what they're actually doing at that point is, Increasing their heart rate, right? Which mm-hmm. then right. increases everything else in their system. And they're like, I just don't know why I'm not relaxing.
2: And you're like, well. So, <laughs> you know what I love to do with people with smartwatches? Oh, what? So, I mean, the Apple Watch has like a breath yes. on it, but you can also see your heart rate. Yeah. So, I challenge oh, people great. to like, I do like four, seven, eight breaths. I do four, seven, eight too. Um, so, that's inhale for four, hold for seven, exhale for eight counts but so i'm like if you have a smartwatch and you start doing that and you do it enough times like you can actually watch your heart rate drop yeah because if you are doing deep breathing and you give your nervous system a chance to respond it will Mm -hmm. like it has to Mm -hmm. so it's kind of a cool thing like you can actually see
0: like okay my heart rate was at 92 and Mm -hmm. now it's at 81 and if your kids are too young to have a smartwatch, and you have them and you have one give it to them let them Mm -hmm. use it right let them use it and practice it that's just because it's immediate feedback and that's the thing that kids need to see have you guys seen the app that is like just a ball Mm -hmm. it's like the breath thing but i use that with kids too Uh, oh yeah but
1: it's just like blowing up a balloon kind of they see it blow up oh that's good to that yeah
2: so, okay. So we, a
0: breathing. lot of us do breathing mm-hmm. when you're one to
2: four. Breathing is also, I know I always say this, it's a really easy thing to Google. <laughs> like, it is. There's tons.
0: Triangle breathing. Mm-hmm. That video is great. Um, it's so funny. I would never have heard of triangle breathing. And like, I have I feel like I'm learning tons, guys. This mm-hmm, is me great. too Because we all have the ones that we use. We use, like I use both of these kinds of breathing, but I didn't know triangle breathing and we get in our own ruts as therapists of like mm-hmm. the strategies that we use so it's cool to hear what some of these other strategies well, yeah, are people
1: forget like we might work in the same building but we're shutting our door and we're yes. with a client like we're not hanging out with each other in the room no i i agree like i think the breathing piece too is like powerful because kids can actually do it quietly at their
2: desk without anybody anywhere. noticing yeah enough. that's why my big plug is for breathing is like i'm not going to make you do a dragon breath <laughs> like in yoga. So I'm like, you can do it anywhere. You can do it in the cafeteria, on the bus with friends, and you might have to check out a little bit, but no one's going to notice that you're doing the breathing. But the other thing I say about breathing and any coping skill really is like, you have to practice it when you're calm. Yes. Yes. You can't, learn a breathing skill in session, do it two or three times with me, walk out, get anxious and use it because you're just not going to have access. Even at one to four, Mm -hmm. you're not going to have access to it. So I, I challenge my clients, like try to do it twice a day when you're feeling fine, just, you know, do two or three rounds of breathing
0: For the next week. And I always tell my clients that this is why they call something like yoga a practice. It's a practice, right? Because you actually do go and practice this Mm -hmm. so that you can use it when you need it. It's the same way if you're in a play, you go to rehearsal a million times so that you can use it at the performance when you need it. Or it's
2: like sports, you don't just like show up on
0: game day. Yeah. Absolutely. It's
2: not like, all right, here you go. You don't know what to do,
0: but let's go out there and hope we beat the other team. Oh, that
2: was my problem then.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we love breathing. We love breathing. And in that, I think that there is yoga. Like yoga is really great. You can even get your kids thinking about if they play an instrument, you can have them talking about how they use their breath in an instrument or or how they use their Mm -hmm. breath. Yep. Or singing or how they use their breath in sports. But what else? What do you all use one to four?
2: I use a lot of mindfulness, but not like traditional meditation. Like yeah. when I start talking about mindfulness, I get a lot of eye rolls and mm-hmm. people being like, I don't want to do that. And mm-hmm. I get it. Because uh, I don't want to do it I don't either, either all the time. But now I now I do. But I think there's some easier techniques than like traditional meditation or what we think of. So I'll do what I call the color game. And so oh, yeah. it's like a grounding technique. So you choose a color and you say like, okay, blue, I'm going to look around the room yep. and name every single thing that I can see that's blue. And when I run out of blue things, I'm going to say green and identify every single thing I can see that in this room, that's green. Um, the point of breathing and grounding is to like bring you back to the present, right? Mm-hmm. It's to like get you out of your head, um, out of like worrying about the future or the past. And so I really like that one because it's simple.
0: Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. not
2: a lot to remember. Okay, I choose a color. I name everything. And I keep doing that until I start to feel calmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some kids I would have, like, just if they have ice water, just putting ice water in their mouth and holding it
1: and just, like, noticing all the things about having water in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Like, again, it's just an internal, it's a refocus. Or even um, altoid, you know, there's a really strong oh, maze. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I had one client in particular. It was great. Like, that's was the one thing that worked, was putting an Altoid in her mouth, like, if she was a little bit nervous. And it would just, because it was so strong, it would just ground her to the sensory perception of the mint
0: because the reason like what what you are both are talking about is when you're anxious you're usually anxious about something that's going to happen in the future or mm-hmm. something that it, that has already said and i always call it like you either have pre-anxiety or post anxiety right. i always have post anxiety like both. oh my gosh why did i say that like it, like in the shower like why like it's so you're so embarrassed for yourself have you seen like the images
2: online where it's like it's a outline of a person's body and it's like them standing up and it's like from the waist down is colored in and it's like anxiety during the day. <laughs> and then you lie down at night. Oh, and it and like the, it's evens like out yeah. at night and it comes up to your head. Oh, no. And I like, I really like that image because I also think, you know, whether it's in the shower or when you lie down at night, it's like the time that you replay the day in your head or
0: you worry about tomorrow. Absolutely. And so the thing about these grounding techniques that you're talking about, like what is happening right now in the present? right? Mm-hmm. Like what mm-hmm. is, get out of the future, get out of the past, look at the colors that you see in your vision right now, taste the water. What does the water feel like? What does the altoid feel like mm-hmm. currently? Cause that's how you reset your brain to be present in the moment. Cause usually the moment isn't actually that bad. There's nothing yeah. that anxiety producing in the moment. It's just that our brains have us either going forward or going back back to feel anxious uh-huh. so that's so yes yeah, so that's what the grounding technique is one other thing i really like with teenagers because they have
2: their phones all the time and love their airpods um is i do mindful listening so i'm like choose one of your favorite songs and choose an instrument oh that's great right? yeah, that so like, good. i'm gonna listen to this song and focus on the guitar okay what does it sound like i'm gonna listen to it again and focus on the drums What's different? My oh, would be great. just
1: listening to the music trying to figure out the words. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I always miss the that's, lyrics. But and that stuff. actually is a good strategy. But yeah, it's a great strategy. And I think even um, I've got some kids that we create calm songs, so songs that they might even just put on, right? Like, especially at night or in those moments at school if they have a break or whatever.
2: So, okay. Let's so five what, to six. What about
1: five to six? What would you
2: say? Five to six, I give a lot of recommendations about, like, doing something. Wait, what's Smoking, happening like in you your
0: body at five to six, though? Oh. Step out for a cigarette from five to six. To six. <laughs> that's really going to reduce your anxiety. Um, <laughs> your heart rate will drop. <laughs> now I'm thinking about, like, juuling. <laughs> Sorry. Like, oh, oh, yeah, no, duel. we're not. And we're not endorsing um, that,
2: by the way. We're just joking. But so five to six in your body, it's getting more intense, right? Mm-hmm. This is when I start to hear more about thoughts racing. Yeah. yep, And, um... A lot of this is when it's like that restless feeling like I have something in my body. I'm fidgety and I don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. I feel like I hear more of that in the five to six range.
0: And my five to six personally is like when I'm like really rethinking something that I said and like, oh, why did I say that? What did they think about me? And it's like I'm thinking the same Mm -hmm. thought over and over and over again Mm -hmm. um, in that way. That's when. Yeah, I don't get
2: butterflies at that point. I'm beyond that to like feeling nauseous personally. (laughs) Like I start to feel like a little bit more.
0: Or chest tight. And I actually, you know, we're really reflecting on ourselves, but I like to control things in that moment. So one of the things I get really anxious about is like, like last time I can remember really feeling this way is about a swim practice that I had coming up and like wanting to set a goal time. And so I spent so many hours just being like, well, if I take it out, if I take the first 50 out in this time, what do I have to bring it back in? But it's like the same numbers running through my head, but I'm trying to control them. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, and it does. I talk to people about this, right? It's like the time that we spend
2: overthinking doesn't actually make us more prepared.
0: Doesn't it? Like I was really prepared for that. Actually, I was like so overstressed about it. Right.
2: That's the thing, is it like I think it's like the same bell curve we talked about last time. Like there's a certain amount of time thinking about it, preparing that is helpful. And then beyond that, you start
0: to psych yourself out.
2: Absolutely. Well, and just beat yourself up.
1: Yep. Right. Like just the negative yep. thought that starts or the critical th- voice that comes in or whatever.
0: I also think there's a real comparative voice that can come through at like five to six, mm-hmm. especially like on Instagram. Like, oh, well, that person looked so happy in that. And what like, why am I not happy in that way? Oh, you know, here's my, I think here's there's my opening. <laughs> right. Yeah. I can be the anti-anxiety influencer. Well, that'd be great. That no, be great? yeah, that would be great. No, but yeah,
1: you're right. Like, it is that, like, there's still enough bandwidth or your brain is still working enough to start pulling in, and you can pull in some absurd comparisons in yes, that moment. Yes. But you still f-
0: can think it well enough to bring in other things. So then, okay, so what are the strategies that you guys employ? So that's a lot of, t- I would say, movement. Yes. I so, would like, say.
2: something with your hands. So, like, a fidget, coloring,
0: sewing. I use friendship bracelets. Great. Yes, I love friendship bracelets. Here's why coloring and friendship bracelets are helpful is because there's a sense of accomplishment. Like when you color, it's like detail oriented. Mm -hmm. And when you finish a space or you finish a line on a friendship bracelet, you're like, oh, I've done something. Mm -hmm. There's a sense of and it's repetitive. So it's not hard. It's repetitive. And there's a sense of of accomplishment. This is why like knitting and crocheting are also awesome. Well, I mean, I don't know. You could teach me how, how to do that.
2: do that. That's great. But theory. I have clients who know how to do that. And I'm like, that's mm-hmm. an awesome thing, especially with Zoom school.
1: Yes. You can sit
2: there and do that.
1: Yep. Well, and I think kids who are in class um, can doodle. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, that's a good, like, just movement thing. And kids just wiggle. I mean, like, and so do teenagers. They just move in their seat. I mean, you just have to be okay with that or tapping your feet or just can't do it Mm -hmm. too loudly. I suppose this is also
2: the point in time where I feel like you can try to logically challenge some of your thoughts. Like you're not totally beyond the point of bringing reason back in. Mm -hmm. Right. So like I can weigh the evidence. What if I fail this test? What if I fail? What if I fail? What if I fail? Okay. I haven't failed a test yet. Right. I'm really anxious that I'm going to fail this test. I haven't failed a test yet it's probably going to be okay.
0: So you still have your, your like wits about you. Yeah. I also think this is a great time to go on a walk. So for me, it's like the barometric pressure. I don't even know if that's the right word, but essentially like the air, sometimes I'll be in my house and I'll be so worried about something or so intense about like getting the kids to bed at the right time. Right. Obviously those are the things I get like stressed about. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with you. And then I walk outside and I'm like, it's not the end of the world if they're 15 minutes late, but just like the fresh air, Mm -hmm. even without the walk can shift whatever, like, cause it changes what's happening in your body. It's Mm -hmm. changing the sensation in your body. So you're Mm -hmm. more present in the here and now and not just worked up about what time the kids need to go to sleep. Well, I mean, as a parent, think about how many times you've gone
1: down a hole where you're just like so focused. It's something revving your system, right? Mm -hmm. And it is, you step back and it's like, it's bedtime on a Tuesday. And do you know how many bedtimes on a Tuesday you're going to have in your kid's life? A lot. But that one Tuesday, for some reason, it's completely consuming. So it is, it's just about stepping back. It is it is your last kind of stage where you can grab yourself and be like, this is anxiety. I need to chill. Like, I just need to step back. One of the things I said earlier is like, and I got this from, um, because in our family, we've got a little asthma that floats around. And also my daughter had terrible croup as a kid. And when you, and by the way, that never happens during the day or, and often happens on a weekend just because Caroline, I'm not sure, only because you can't get all the pediatrician and mm-hmm. go right in. That's <laughs> when
2: I'm going to be frantically calling the kids. Yes, you. do actually. So you open up the
1: freezer and you, you're basically breathing in cold air. And and then I, what I noticed in my own daughter, is she would start to do it sometimes when she was just stressed. And it was like her own way of re... Rebalancing herself, I think, and just getting herself like shocking her system a little bit. I mean, so it was a good, I mean, it was funny when I saw my kid first breathe in the, breathe in the freezer. I was like, what are you doing? But it, it almost felt, it was soothing in those mm-hmm. panicky moments. Mm-hmm. And I think what she probably felt as a little kid was stress again and, you know, maybe even breathing stress stuff. And so she would just automatically open the free, I know freezer and start breathing in the freezer. And so then I was like, oh, that kind of works. And then I started using it with my clients. And I was like, go stick your head in the freezer for, not the oven, let me be clear, the freezer for just a minute and breathe in the cold air. And it just, it's a shock. It is. Yep. It just changes things yep now pain i don't encourage kids to like do anything that would create pain to change their no. trajectory no would be clear like so punching something or the, that's not what we're saying yep um like punching a pillow maybe or yelling or something yeah, to get you can, out like, but not scream
2: into a pillow not a wall if you
1: have yeah. a big feeling that's not pain. Mm-hmm. i had a client who would crunch ice which i know drove the rest of the family nuts but again it was that sensation thing in the mouth
0: yep mm-hmm So, oh, here's what I do also when I get to like six, seven ish is I set a timer. Like a lot of times if I'm anxious about something and I, and I have clients do this, it's not just all about me, but I learned it from me. Cause when I was Mm -hmm. anxious, like my post anxiety, I would think about something stupid. I said for like five hours and I could not get that record off. Uh Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so finally I was like, I am not having any new thoughts. It's the same thought over and over again. So I just set a timer for two minutes and I was like, I'm going to think of nothing, but this stupid thing I said and all the responses to it, nothing but that for two minutes. And, and I did. So then when it came up later, you're able to say like, but I already thought about that, Mm -hmm. right? I already Mm -hmm. thought about that. And that's the same thing as journaling too, right? You put it in a place, write it down put those feelings somewhere and then when they come back up because they do be like oh but i already wrote about that i already thought about Mm -hmm. that it's over now i've had that experience so with little kids i have them decorate a shoebox, and then
1: any thought that they have that's a worry thought or whatever they put that worry thought in the box yep and we keep the box shut and then um, sometimes the family will do some sort of ritual to get rid of those worries right and that yeah just, yeah just and it's again it's just a dump but it also like when you when you are thinking about something like that and you're anxious and i tell my adult clients and teen clients have some a book by your bed like a notebook just to put it from one part of your brain to the next mm-hmm. where you're writing it and then shut the like you'll see it in the morning just go back to bed or go and to research sleep
2: research shows it's actually better to hand write when you journal oh, oh i bet it's interesting you're connected there's, to it yeah mm-hmm. there's like it more activates of a process the brain than with piece, typing yeah. so i would say. Typing over not doing anything, but handwriting over typing.
0: Oh, that's a good point. Okay. Good to know. No one would ever be able to read what I was writing, so it'd be very
1: private. <laughs> <laughs> but the containment piece that you're talking about, I mean, I think really does work. And for parents, to they can do that with children, too. So if you have a kid who's really got, really feels stuck on something, you can say, okay, let's talk about it for five minutes, and then we're not going to talk about it. Yes. And you have to kind of help your kid get there. And then they'll learn
0: that containment. But it's a skill you have to almost teach, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And when I'm worried, when I'm up there too, I do talk, right? I talk to my friends. I talk to my family. I talk to people I love. So that's a really good one. Just say to someone, Hey, I'm really worried. Can we talk about this? Sometimes for me too, when I start talking about what I'm anxious about, it starts to sound
2: so absurd. Yes. That I'm like, okay. Right. Like I call a friend and I'm like, Hey, can I just talk to you about this one thing really quickly? (laughs) And they're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and I start talking about it and I just like start laughing because <laughs> right, like in your head, it feels so real, right? You're like, oh, and then you start talking about it and you're like, okay, I can handle this. Like this isn't as big and dark and scary as I made it in my head. Um And it just helps. And then, you know, sometimes I feel bad because I basically have a conversation with myself and I'm like, oh, okay, thanks so much for listening. Like, (laughs) how's your day? What else can we talk about? Because I called you like with this thing I needed to talk about, got two minutes into it, realized I didn't need to talk about it. And here we are. I think I do that with you guys. I do Um, it on text. Yeah, we do it all the time. The other thing I try to do is like externalize the anxious brain. Right? that's so like yeah that's my that's your worry brain talking or that's your anxious brain talking so that kids are able to recognize like oh my anxious brain is really running wild right now um i also make the analogy like you are letting someone like move in right this oh, a your, good one. Mm-hmm. your anxious brain <laughs> this person has like moved in isn't paying rent is taking up tons of space yep. is like having parties and you're just like It's just all happening. Right. So, like, how do you get to take back some control and be like, no, you don't get to do that. Like, you can be bossy with your thoughts and say, like, nope, not thinking about this. This doesn't help me. That's not accurate. Right. And try to, like, quiet the thoughts themselves. Well,
1: we always in my house, (laughs) I'm like, put up the stop sign in your head. Like, just put up the stop sign. Like, it just has to stop.
0: So I visualize too, I help people like when you feel like those thoughts are creeping in, sometimes you can then connect it to breath, like blow those thoughts out. That's a good mm -hmm, point. Right? Like just blow them out before they get too far. Yep. There Oh, there was one other thing I was going to say about this, which is it's also very normal and evolutionarily adaptive for people to be more anxious at night. And the reason yes. is, yeah. is because at night it is dark. And so if you listen to our podcast last week, you understand that essentially we are more vulnerable at night and therefore anxiety protects us. Anxiety is what's helped us survive at night because we can't see what the true threats are out there. So is this making sense, yeah. right? Yeah. And so everybody, like how many times You wake up in the middle of the night. You like are up for two Uh, hours thinking about something crazy. I'll be like, I need to tell my husband this in the morning, and then I wake up and I'm like, Oh, that's not a big deal at all. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I have nothing to say to my husband except for good morning. Right? Like it's all so big at night, and that's okay. That's normal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think there is
2: something to be said about like even now when it's like dark and the world is sleeping and your house is quiet. Like, there's just more space for your mind to, like, tick, 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 tick. like, Well, and kids,
1: like, a lot of times, it, you know, there's a couple of things. One is when you have kids that have a trauma history, any downtime, a lot of times their brains flood. So you see a lot more anxiety during quiet time at school and things like that. Mm-hmm. But even just healthy, normal kids have never had any trauma. I don't know about your kids, Amanda, but... Bedtime was like I have the worst bedtime stories about my kid, but bedtime was the one time that that like everything we'd have this routine. It would be perfect, get in bed, and then you know this little six year old be like, "Is there heaven?" Mm -hmm. what does god look like like Mm -hmm. all of a sudden like like, seriously could we not have had this discussion at like two this Mm -hmm. afternoon like that would have been a great time to open that up but right before i you know want to go get you a benadryl shot just go to sleep (laughs) so i think those are like kids we see it in our kids but adults are the same way but it's just a normal human kind of brain
0: function absolutely and i think even now I mean, I haven't thought about my anxiety in this way in a really long time. But even having the conversation about this, we're all like, like, we're all kind of revved because there's space for it. Uh Right. Uh And like, it comes up because there's space for it. And I haven't even realized how much I like hold on to, but I think I manage it throughout the day, right? Yeah. In the same way that our kids do too. It's like you manage it throughout the day and then at night there's space for it. And so it just gets, it mm-hmm. gets bigger.
1: Well, and we're really lucky because we work with people during the day or we're con- in constant communication with each other where we can turn and go, oh my God, I'm feeling so anxious about yep. this. But, you know, we're in that kind of line of work. I mean, most people can't turn to the person next to them at work and go, oh my gosh, I'm so anxious right. and feel like that person's going to totally get it. I mean, if you're lucky, you might.
0: But I mean, we talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a really weird question. I was thinking about this earlier. How many It's kind of off yes, topic, this is guys, my real hair color, but how many, <laughs> how many adult adults do you think think about their anxiety on a scale of kind of one to ten regularly? Because I know I do, and I know I'm like, okay, how do I feel? What do I need to do? I'm like, I I hadn't thought of it as like one through four, but I'm, I'm very aware of where I am and my body and what I might need to do. But you're talking to other people about it all the time, like their anxiety, right? Like you're helping other people all
1: the time cope with it. So
0: how many people that aren't in mental health? Yeah. Do you think other people, I guess if you had a lot of therapy, you think about it that way. But other than that, it's not out there in kind of the culture, the pop culture to be really thinking about it. I don't know. I, I don't, I mean, based on my own home life, you mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> sometimes
1: we we'll be like, I think you're kind of anxious. I'm not anxious. Okay. <laughs> and then later it's like, I'm anxious. I think people, I think it's, I think it's a really normal term to use. I think people talk about anxiety. I don't know that everybody understands what it really means or in the clinical way
0: that we're talking about mm-hmm. it, but I think it's become a very common
1: vocabulary word. Do you that think sense.
0: that, do you think that people like our peers that are not in mental health really actively kind of are like oh where am i i need to go no, take a break like, i need I to go walk so. i don't
2: i also think culturally we're not like in touch with our bodies
0: right that that's extent. the piece i agree right? like yeah.
2: we just aren't and so i feel like and i feel like we're such a like go 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 culture
0: that like there's not space, right? Like I probably am always in. functioning at a four, but I think it's like a one because I'm when doing everyone's
2: a baseline level is different, right? Like some people operate at a four, some people operate at a five, some people operate at a one. The idea is just like when my anxiety is starting to kick into gear higher than normal, I want to catch it so that the space between where, you know, if I get to a five and my baseline is usually a two, that space to get back to baseline is a lot smaller than if I'm at a nine Mm -hmm. to get back to a two.
1: When I think even being in mental health too, and the fact that we talk about this all the time, like we know when that critical voice kicks in for us. And I wonder, I don't think many people really notice that when it kicks in i think it kicks in and then they can they end up dealing i mean a lot of times that's when we have folks come to see us and we're like oh you know you don't just have one critical voice you got a choir in your head right Mm -hmm. now we need to try to get your anxiety a little lower and quiet those voices because they're not helping um but yeah i don't know i don't know how much i mean it probably depends on the family too and Mm -hmm. if a family is used to talking about it or has Mm -hmm. somebody's received some help with that Mm -hmm. but um i think it's a great thing um, I mean, anxiety is so normal and such a part of yes. everybody's life. and I think it's it's so important to normalize it and have discussions about it and and then there are big times that create anxiety, right? Like we were talking about just the, the normal milestones um, when kids go away to college, you know, when kids are finishing high school, when kids are facing big exams, when big changes, yeah, just big life changes. Yeah. of any sort. They're gonna create any sort of I mean it just is a normal reaction. Mm-hmm. In the body. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, we talked about this a little bit, but um, helping kids identify um, anxiety and excitement because it can feel very Mm -hmm. similar. And kids who are very prone to anxiety can kind of start to feel um, they'll name something anxiety, even though they're excited about it, and they'll feel like it's negative, like before a game. Mm -hmm. And they could really just be excited about the game and it's Mm -hmm. okay to make it exciting.
0: That makes sense. That was helpful. I just didn't know like how many people kind of walk around with this in their head. Cause I've started to do this. I think cause I talk about it all the time. Right. And I just didn't know if other people put it in their heads that way. I don't know. I'm skeptical. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm that's good. Too. I hope, I hope this helps people put it in their heads then, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. but then what about like seven, eight, 9 eight, nine y'all and 10 and 10. I would say if you're getting to the seven, eight, nine,
2: ten 10 range often, That might be time for therapy.
0: What does that look like? Panic attacks is a 10. Panic attacks, Panic attacks, are attacks are is 10. like a, the epitome of it a 10, right? Yeah. And yes. some people don't realize it until that happens, I think.
2: So I think when you start having like thoughts that you might die, that you're not safe, Yep. something is wrong in my body, my heart racing means I'm going to die, I can't catch my breath. I think I'm when, so overwhelmed, sorry. I can't think. That's what I think of.
1: I think when people start to alter their behavior or their norm- normalcy to match the anxiety. To manage the anxiety. So when it, so like avoid something that's yes, hard. Yes, when they start to yeah. avoid or it starts to really um, interrupt something that used to be fun, anxiety can really rob joy. Yes. Because mm-hmm. it's distracting. And so I think when, when it starts to do that, and, and I think we may see a little bit of rise in that when the world opens mm-hmm. or as the world opens. So, I mean, I think there's going to be some normal anxiety that goes with that. And then I think some folks are going to struggle a little.
2: I think in younger kids, it can look like major meltdowns. Yes. So I think
0: about it as like fight, flight, or freeze too. Yes. Right? So if, you're, if you have a kid who's fighting or like very irritable, running away when they're getting upset to avoid mm-hmm. something or mm-hmm. just freezing, like totally shutting down, mm-hmm. that's when you're really at a 10. That's like 10 plus. Yeah. But like... That's when you need... It'd be good to have some help. Right. But even seven... I think you're right. Meltdowns like seven, eight, nine... Irritability, especially irritability. irritability. Sleep, having just not being able to sleep. Yes, not being able to sleep.
2: So when it starts disrupting any normal pattern, Mm -hmm. sleep, eating, homework, right? Like when I'm so anxious that it's just getting in the way of me trying to do anything else. Connecting to other friends and people. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what about medicine? Because I get that question a lot. That's a good question. I think everyone has a different... I think I think the world makes it hard because I do think that's such a healthy way to manage this is good sleep good food right good um exercise Mm -hmm. but then we jam-pack kids with things from like nine to nine and we don't leave them opportunity to do that Mm -hmm. we have them sit down all day Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like well how are they supposed to not be anxious when we've taken away their opportunities to be healthy by putting them in school and activities all the or yeah we're running all over the place in the after school hours absolutely sitting
2: on their phones on social media
0: Right. Yeah. So I think there is this balance of what can you um, like, what can you give up in order to put healthy exercise or sleep in there? What are you willing to do? And then what do you kind of say, like, I'm going to suck it up for this year, maybe put some medication in because I know they're not going to be able to go on a run at six in the morning, put some medication in. Just to get through this year. That's my and that's my like soul. So
2: I also talk about like medication as a way to start accessing coping skills. Like yes, if you are agree. operating at seven, eight, nine, ten and you come to sessions at a seven, eight, nine, ten and I'm trying like your brain isn't on, you can't like internalize the things that we're talking about. You can't practice the skills. So if it is that intense, then I talk about medication even temporarily yes, to like bring that number down so that this person has access to therapy, has access to learning coping skills so that then the medication might not be
0: needed. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Or
1: backing out the, yeah, then you can back out the medication
0: and the coping skills in place. Because I do think, though, sorry, I went on my like random rant, but I think that that it's easy to look at those kids that are really high achieving and doing really well and think that they're not anxious. But we all know that those kids that are like going and going from nine to nine with like very little anything sleep, very little sleep, very little right, they look perfect, we all know that those kids are really anxious. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I think part of it is saying, yeah, it's hard for them and to be functioning in this way, because it's not natural. Right.
2: And that I feel like starts to look like putting pressure on yourself.
0: Yes. Yeah. Right, putting, and then it's really hard though because you're like, but I want to get into a good college, and you know the person next to me is gonna is getting straight A's, and they look beautiful, and they're the fastest runner in our school, mm-hmm. and you feel like you have to keep up with them, and it feels really bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. And here's the thing. I mean
1: everybody is different. And I mean, I have a teenager, so we talk about some of this stuff, but it's okay to miss, miss some things that you might have a little fear about missing out on. But yes, I mean, if you didn't know about it, you wouldn't worry about missing it for one. Let's mm-hmm. point that, but you know, you do your best and things just work out the way they work out. I mean, the best college is what it's different for every person yes. the being the you And I mean, I've was an athlete growing up, but I always say, we've always said to our our daughter, like, there will always be someone better. That's just how it works. And so try your best, be your best. But again, like it doesn't change. Some kids are just wired to be super driven. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that you need to get in and change their wiring. It's that we need to make their environment a little bit easier on their wiring and teach them some skills to manage their wiring.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. And those skills mean sometimes saying like, wow, the world is really hard to be highly successful in all things. And it's okay to just say like, yeah, I don't really care about that as much. Like, I don't, (laughs) like, I don't want to go to the party tonight. I'm just tired and I need to like reset. Something has to give.
2: Yes. I also tell people all the time, I'm like, junior year doesn't define the rest of your life. Like we have turned junior year into like a performance, yeah. In yes. Tests. It is your performance year. year. Yes. And I'm like, I just don't buy it. I don't either. And I also don't buy the idea that there's one perfect college for you. If you're one perfect job, like you can always change your mind. I tell people I could have gone to 10 other colleges than the one I went to and been equally as happy.
0: Right. And so anxious. I think that we know that. Yet the messages that we are sending high schoolers that they are picking up from each other are so different than that. And so that's why there's such an increase in anxiety too. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so it's really having people saying to them, yeah, there are 10 great colleges out there for you. And it's more important to be happy and healthy to get them to get straight A's yep. to get into that college. So how are you going to be healthy and manage your anxiety in this environment? Because that's what's going to set you up to be happy at college not going to the quote unquote right college. That's well, right.
2: And there's the piece of, okay, so you can like work your butt off so hard in high school to get into your dream college and then you're burnt out. And then yes. you can't be successful in college because you literally just worked so hard in high school that like you're done. Like you can't you just binge can't drink can't in college. <laughs> you can binge drink, but like... It <laughs> um, won't go might, well. The academic side, while not like, right. the most important part of college, like... What's going to get you pulled out of college is failing your classes.
0: Yes, I totally agree with you.
2: Sorry, so that's a tangent.
0: this is such a tangent for all of us. I think we've hit uh, like a chord for something that stresses us all out about like mm-hmm. the wor- the world. But I think what we're also saying is we see a lot of high school kids that are functioning at like sevens a lot. Oh, yeah, because there's so much pressure on high school kids. And part of it is we need to change the messaging to them in order to help them manage their anxiety. And and we need to teach them to change to better interpret what messages they're picking up from the world absolutely. We oh. can do a whole nother podcast. Let's do that. We can. Okay, y'all. And the other thing also I will say about this seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, sometimes you just got to let it ride. Like as a parent, if you have yep. a kid that's like 8, 9, 10, I really hate to break it to you and it's so painful and hard to watch, but there's not much you can do. I think the big <laughs> thing is
1: don't escalate with. Like yeah. don't, yeah. don't, like it's a, what I always tell the kids I work with is, um, and adults actually, Anxiety is a wave. It will never kill you. It is really uncomfortable. And the bigger the wave, the harder it's going to knock you for a minute, but it'll pass. And, and I remind the parents, you know, you're going to see the wave hit them. It's terribly difficult to watch your kids suffer and struggle. But if you can stay calm and just breathe deeply and wait for them to come back down from the anxiety and, and then have a conversation because they'll, they'll get there. It is hard to watch them suffer. But again, that's the time when you reach out to therapists as well. If your kid is struggling or suffering, then that's a great time to get them into therapy.
2: And it's not the moment to reason with your kid. Like that part of their brain, seven and up, is totally inaccessible, right? So like the most you can maybe do is like, right, like maybe they want you to scratch their back or maybe you need to do pushups with your kid and get energy out. But like talking in that moment is likely not the solution.
1: I've tried it. How'd it go? It went really poorly,
0: <laughs> I have to be honest. But here is the solution. So then it's like when you see them at seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, this isn't really a solution, but you wait till they come down to like a 4 or a yes. 3 and you say, hey, what can we do when you're at a 1, 2, or 3 to get you down to baseline so that you don't have to get to 10 again? And that's the learning is like after the 10, that felt terrible. You need to do some stuff at 3. I wouldn't say you need to, because that's just going to trigger anybody. But let's talk about ideas. In a
2: parent of a young kid, you might see it before they know it's happening, right? Yeah. So that's when you're like, hey, let's do breathing. And that may be responded too well or not, right? But like you can try to help the intervention.
1: Yes, by absolutely reminding. Yeah, yep. Just gently. Yeah, with a teenager, I would not advise coaching at that moment. But I think too, with a teen, it's about, um, even saying, look, I know you're really stressed. I can see it on your face. I'll be back in 10 minutes. If you're at a place where we can talk, I'd love to hear what you
0: need to talk about.
1: And if you don't want to talk, tell me that too. But I get, I get that you're anxious. Like just acknowledging it for the teen can be helpful. Yep.
0: Yeah. Okay, guys, I hope this was helpful. Yeah. Do you guys feel anxious or calm? I feel better. Good. I always talk. I feel good. I feel better. Connecting also really helps everybody. I know yeah, it does. Um, okay, have a great week.